You're listening to the Earn That Body podcast, episode number 268. Welcome to the Earn That Body show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. podcast. We have a great podcast ahead for you. Just some um, tips, what's going on for that body right now, uh, end of the month. We have the newsletter coming out next week. If you're, or I should say, basically this week, the newsletter is coming out. So if you're not on the newsletter list, I give once a month, one email to you that has great recipes, uh, fitness and health tips, education, inspiration. It's free. It's concise. It's one page newsletter. And honestly, there's no reason you wouldn't want that in your inbox because it might be the thing that helps you lose weight or gives you a tip to get you through a weekend or maybe a great abs workout. Again, it's totally free. So go to earnthatbody.com forward slash newsletter if you'd like to get the newsletter later this week because it's definitely a good one. And just so you know, I offer a discount on every new newsletter to my newsletter, what do you call everyone, like attendees? (laughs) Anybody who's on my newsletter list gets access to discounts each month as well. So definitely check it out. Again, earnthatbody.com forward slash newsletter. We are also into the Strong Body Challenge right now, which has been so much fun. Everybody really seems to be enjoying it. If you did not get into the big main group that always launches with the first round of the program, you still can purchase Strong Body and do it on your own. That's how it will be offered from here on out. It is a fantastic 21-day challenge, incredible strength videos, awesome cardio burners that people seem to be loving, core workouts as well, so many great videos that you can add to your current workout regime and just sort of spice things up. It's sometimes nice to have something new, especially as you get ready for summer season, which means bathing suit season, right? So that's what's going on in Earn That Body. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the podcast today. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever considered doing a blood test to see if you have a food sensitivity? Have you ever? I mean, food sensitivity tests seem to be all the rage in the last year or so. And you might even be a little surprised that your insurance company is not going to pay for the cost of this test. Now, you might be thinking, well, why not? It is technically a medical test, right? Well, actually, no, it's really not. We're going to talk about food sensitivity tests, what they are, do they work, should you do one, Um, everything you need to know about food sensitivity and food sensitivity tests. Again, I've had a lot of people asking me about them lately. I have a lot of clients who come to me and say they took a food sensitivity test and this is what it told them. And I have dived into the topic because I am so deeply passionate about health and nutrition and I started seeing some very interesting things when my clients would tell me they took these food sensitivity tests. So I'm going to share all of that with you after this. 
And now, it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. In today's Eagle Eye on Health, coming to you from Idea Fitness Magazine, they had an article called Sleep and Walking. What they said is that sleep is essential to optimize efficient movement control and performance. To add to our understanding of sleep's value, new findings show that sleep deprivation can undermine walking efficiency and increase clumsiness as reported in scientific reports. Researchers from MIT in Boston and from Universidad de São Paulo in Brazil conducted a study to analyze the effects of different sleep restriction levels on gait control. Other studies confirm that human postural control is negatively impacted by both acute and chronic sleep deprivation. However, the effect of sleep deprivation on gait has not been as thoroughly investigated. Now, among 30 college students participating in the study, those with chronic sleep deprivation performed worst on a treadmill test. In contrast, those who had less than ideal sleep throughout the week, but who slept in on weekends performed better. Researchers concluded that compensating for sleep loss can be an important strategy for people like shift workers who are chronically sleep deprived. The results show that gait is not an automatic process and that it can be affected by sleep deprivation. Ideally, everyone should sleep eight hours a night, but if you can't, then you should compensate as much as you can do as regularly as possible. So I did think it was an interesting thing to bring up. I'm a huge advocate of sleep. I think that sleep is the most overlooked health component out there. Um, No matter what you're trying to fix in your health, even if it's weight loss, sleep is generally the number one thing that you can adjust if you're not getting that eight hours of sleep. So sleep does impact weight loss. I talk about that all the time, but now we see that it even impacts gait, um, clumsiness. I thought that was interesting too. If you're a super clumsy person, you know how some people just are super clumsy. It's maybe interesting to see if they're getting enough sleep. I also love the fact that they used some college students for sleep deprivation. I Let's face it, Now my son's in college and I'm sure he's way more sleep deprived than when he used to live at home. (laughs) They have a much different life and a much different schedule and sleep is definitely not at the top of the list for college students. It's a good thing that they are young. They seem to bounce back fairly quickly versus uh, myself these days who's almost 50. (laughs) So anyway, sleep, sleep, sleep. I bring it up all the time because I think it is essential seven to eight hours a night So important, I average eight to nine, and honestly, without the eight to nine, I do not feel my best at all. So whatever you gotta do to get that sleep, I have a couple sleep podcast episodes if you need help with sleep, because I do understand that some people struggle with their sleep. They wanna get eight to nine hours, but they struggle. So do check out some of those past podcast episodes. Now let's get back to it. We are talking about food sensitivity tests. Do you think you should do one? Are they worth it? Do they work? What do you have to know? Well, as I had just previously said, food sensitivity is not technically a medical test. Food sensitivity is not an official medical diagnosis. This term, however, is used by guess who? 
the makers of various blood tests that claim to detect sensitivities to certain foods. So to me, right off the bat, when I started researching this topic, from um, just so you know, I got information from Real Simple Medical News, WebMD, lots of different research out there. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they talk about the makers of these blood tests being the one who sort of created this food sensitivity, quote unquote, because it's becoming what? An incredibly high profitable market, right? For food sensitivity tests. There's so many on the market now, it's becoming one of those multi-gazillion dollar industries. So that is something to keep in mind. Now, I came along one article that was written by a registered dietitian. And this is what she said, because she said, here's what I want people to know about food sensitivity testing kits. She said that as a dietitian who works in gastroenterology, she knows that plenty of her patients find that certain foods don't agree with them. I mean, that much is true, everyone. Not all foods will agree with you, potentially, or they don't agree with everyone. She said, it's my job to help them figure out which ones are not agreeing with them. And you'd think, she said, that I would embrace the emergence of food sensitivity testing kits that identify food intolerances as a tool in my quest to help patients feel better. But she said the opposite is true. The more patients of hers who showed up having used a food sensitivity test kit are following restrictive diets in an effort to avoid any foods that the test indicated that they can't tolerate. And the more she came to believe that these confusing distraction tests were really becoming more of a problem than helpful for her clients. Now, she says, by the time a patient arrives at my office, they've already received test results that suggest a sensitivity to several foods, sometimes up to two dozen foods or more, many of which are currently part of their weekly diet staples and that often include difficult to avoid ingredients, like maybe canola oil or yeast. In my experience, she says, the results invariably suggest a sensitivity to gluten, dairy, and soy. She says that she cannot remember seeing or being told about results that did not include gluten, dairy, and soy. So what that means, just so I can pause here for a second, is that everybody who was coming in her office was allergic or sensitive, I should say, sensitive, not allergic, to gluten, dairy, and soy. Now that brings up something funny because that's what started happening with me. I was having so many clients come to me saying, well, I did my food sensitivity test and here are all the things I'm allergic to. And everybody would always show me the same things. Everybody was showing a sensitivity to the same foods overall. I mean, there are a few things here and there, but gluten, dairy, soy, and almost always eggs is what everybody was saying they were sensitive to. Now, back to this dietitian, she says, they tell me that initially they panicked about how they could possibly eliminate all of those foods and continue with a normal work and a normal social commitment life. 
They were committed to giving it a try, so they dive in and spend a week or two preparing everything they eat from the foods they don't feel like they have to avoid. For example, they would be eating plain chicken, a handful of assorted vegetables, plain rice. Sometimes they end up feeling better, and sometimes they didn't. And certainly, if something they were eating regularly was bothering them initially, cutting almost everything out should have swept away the offender by all means, she says, and that's so true. Regardless of how they feel, however, they soon realize that they cannot keep up this highly restrictive diet. And that's when they would end up at this dietitian's office. And they would be so confused about which foods they should eat and which ones were bothering them and which foods were not bothering them and how are they going to live their life this way and that's exactly what i was dealing with with my clients they'd be like well how can i possibly get enough protein in because i can't have dairy now and i can't have eggs and and they were going and everybody was saying the same things that they were sensitive to and this creates such a difficult way of life And let's make sure it's worth it before you go through all of that hassle, right? Now, this dietitian said that the worst case scenario, in her opinion, is that the patients are unable to let go of this notion that this laundry list of foods indicated by the sensitivity test kit is somehow problematic for them. And they assume they still feel lousy, not because they aren't actually intolerant of the foods they eliminated, but rather because they haven't eliminated enough foods yet. And she would see this happen more times than she could count. And when she would be unsuccessful at convincing the patient that these tests really could not be relied on, she would watch these patients sort of be feel helpless and they would just go down this rabbit hole of food restriction, food avoidance, and this really led to a lot of disordered eating. So here the client is trying to clean up their diet by taking out foods they're sensitive to. And yet the laundry list of foods that they would get on these sensitivity kits of what they were sensitive to was so big that they end up with disordered eating because now they're not eating anything. And they're losing nutrients left and right because they're avoiding food groups that honestly were bringing them more health than not. So I thought it was so interesting, for one, that this dietitian was seeing so many things that I now I am seeing with my nutrition clients as well. Now, let's just talk a little bit about these food sensitivity tests. The first thing I want you to understand is how they work, all right? So what exactly is a food sensitivity test? Because they're fairly easy these days to get um, an at-home blood test. Uh, That's basically what you do, is you can order it online and the kit's gonna come to your house. You prick your finger, you put a little drop of blood on a card, and then you send your blood sample in for results and that can take usually a week or two. Now. As for science, that what they're doing is they are using your blood to identify systemic antibodies called IgG, immunoglobulin G. And that's really important for you to understand because the IgD that develop when a certain food leaks out of a permeable gut or leaky gut and into the bloodstream 
is what that antibody is basically picking up. So the body reacts with an, in, with an inflammatory storm primarily, which makes you experience things like the stomach problems and the joint pain and the brain fog and the acne and the headache and the skin issues. Those are the kind of symptoms that people are talking about when they're talking about food sensitivity, okay? Now a food intolerance or sensitivity, it's not a food allergy. Because food intolerances are, are much, I, I don't know how to say it, they're, I mean, they're less intense by all means. An allergy, a food allergy, that's something that can result in anaphylactic shock, hives, um, swelling of the tongue, swelling of the throat, trouble breathing, severe itchiness, and it can be the tiniest little amount of that food that you're allergic to that could cause you to have any of those symptoms. So it's a much different level. A food allergy is a much different level than a food sensitivity. And that amount that it can be is also much lower. It could just be a tiny little bit. And if you're allergic, you're gonna know it right away. Now, when you go to a trained doctor specializing in allergies, you will often have a skin prick allergy test or a blood test or both. And when you do the test with that kind of doctor, they're measuring something called IgE antibodies, not IgG, but IgE, which is immunoglobulin E. And that is gonna indicate an acute immune response to a true allergy. And that's a very serious thing. So if you ever get those kind of symptoms like trouble breathing, your throat starts swelling up, anaphylaxis, you should be seeing a doctor immediately for something like that. Now, if you're struggling with these sort of vague symptoms like nagging indigestion, upset stomach, the headaches, fatigue, brain fog, skin irritation, then an at-home blood test might seem like the perfect solution for you to figure out what is the problem and that way you can just pinpoint it and take care of it right away. And that's what a lot of people are doing. But a lot of people are also using these food sensitivity tests for some reason because they think it's gonna help them lose weight. They think if they could figure out what foods they're sensitive to and they could reduce those foods then that is what would help them lose weight. And that they're not losing weight because they have this inflammation in their body because they're eating this food that they're sensitive to. Blah, 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 blah. That is not really happening. That is not the case, just so you know. All right? Your food sensitivity is not causing weight gain or a problem with weight loss. That's generally not going to be it. Now, what are the cons of using one of these food sensitivity kits? At home, IgG food sensitivity tests. And just so you know, that's what the home tests are. They're the IgG, not the one the doctor does that is an IgE test, okay? The at home IgG food sensitivity tests are not currently recommended by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology because the presence of these antibodies that you basically see from the test, it doesn't necessarily indicate a negative reaction to a food. 
These tests reflect the memory of our immune system and are often considered to actually be a marker of tolerance, not intolerance, to foods that you've recently eaten. And also, if you have a history of disordered eating or anxiety around food and dieting, they do warn that these kind of food sensitivity tests can do a lot more harm than good because what it does is it starts to exacerbate and reinforce you to restrict your eating. And if you're restricting your eating to foods that you're not actually intolerant to, what a mess you're creating for your health, for your body, and for your life. Because anybody who's taking these tests is like shaking their head right now like, yes, I was very overwhelmed when I got that page long list of all these foods I couldn't eat because there was like nothing left to eat. And that's going to put you in a situation that's not healthy mentally and certainly not healthy physically, right? Something to just keep in mind. Now, that said, many swear by the accuracy of their at-home test results and get some improvements with their digestion. And while there hasn't been a lot of validation for these types of food, there's basically the studies have not shown much accuracy on the food sensitivity test. If you're experiencing inflammatory symptoms and then you take out a whole bunch of foods, then it is possible that that you would feel better then, but you might not have had to take out all of those foods, right? It might've just been one of those foods or even just limiting it, not taking it out completely. So, What does this all mean? Well, if you wanna manage a food sensitivity, this is what they recommend. Don't go crazy with it, okay? They recommend taking 30 days off from highly reactive foods and then reintroducing them one by one every two to three days, or even one a week so you're better able to interpret how your body is reacting. For example, if you get headaches or stomach aches after reintroducing gluten, then that's probably your answer, right? Um, But this is also something that you could work with a dietitian on. Instead of doing this food sensitivity test, a dietitian can walk you through a proper way to remove foods from the diet and then slowly add them back in so that you can figure out which one it is. Taking out one food at a time is a whole lot easier than that entire sheet they sent you from a food sensitivity test that says you can never have these because you're sensitive to them, right? But another thing that a lot of the articles talked about is taking care of your gut. So the foods themselves, like gluten or dairy, or for some people, chickpeas, for some people, egg whites, those aren't the only potential issue. While a certain ingredient may cause inflammatory reaction, it is also highly possible that what they call a weakened gut is actually allowing the offending food to sort of wreak havoc on your system. Gut health maintenance is absolutely key. And basically what you wanna do is you wanna improve digestive health, if that's an easier way for you to think about it, right? So how do you improve digestive health? Well, daily stress relief is actually a direct like hit onto your gut's health, okay? So stress and your stomach, like how many times do you get a stomach ache if you're under a lot of stress, right? 
So daily stress relief, that could be yoga, meditation, more me time, whatever you have to do to get your stress levels down, that can have a direct improvement on digestive health. By reducing your cortisol levels, which is that stress hormone, you give your digestive system a chance to rest, allowing your gut to produce higher secretions of the enzymes that you need to break down all foods, which will prevent intestinal permeability. And so you're more likely to be able to handle these foods that you think you're insen- that you're sensitive to, not insensitive, but sensitive to, if your gut was in better shape, right? So it's sort of like, it's like kicking you when you're down. If your stomach is already not able to handle much and you have really poor digestive health, then yeah, a lot of foods are going to make you feel poorly. But instead of just taking everything out of your diet, not being able to eat anything, including highly nutritious foods, you could be working on your digestive health. And so that's something to keep in mind as well. Now, another thing that they talk about is that you should eat a variety of foods. If you eat the same thing every day, you're actually gonna have a higher chance of developing a sensitivity to that food. And while it's totally fine to make a big batch of stew that maybe you're gonna enjoy all week or a big batch of chili, you don't wanna be eating the same exact cauliflower every night or lentils every single night or sweet potatoes every single day because your body literally gets sick of it because it just can't handle that much of the same thing. That's why I'm always preaching moderation, like everything in moderation, people, everything. So eating a variety of foods is also going to reduce chances of having a food sensitivity. Now, if you're finding that you have nagging or chronic symptoms and they are just not going away, or you're having more of those allergic type reactions to certain foods, that's when you know you must go see a doctor. Always see a doctor when something is truly bothering you and get a proper diagnosis and they can then refer you to a proper allergist potentially to see what's going on. Um, you have to understand that I come from a background of holistic medicine. I have my master's in science in Eastern medicine. I was an acupuncturist for a long time and I love holistic medicine. But I will say this, I do firmly believe that you should always see a medical doctor and get a proper diagnosis and then go see your holistic health professional for treatment. I've seen far too many people go to a holistic professional and get an improper diagnosis, an improper treatment with tons of herbs and this and that for six months and nothing got better. Go to the medical doctor first, then go to the holistic or alternative care provider with that diagnosis if that's the route that you want to go in how to to handle it, to fix it, to treat it, okay? So again, I'm very, I am all, by all means, no one loves holistic medicine and alternative medicine more than me, but I am a firm believer you go to the doctor first, the medical doctor, and get the proper tests done and get the MD's diagnosis and move from there. So very important to remember as well. Now, what else can I tell you? 
I don't know how else to say it other than the fact that these food sensitivity tests are considered questionable. All right. There is a lot of money out there making these test makers market like crazy. One of the big brand names, I'm not going to even bring it up. They were on Shark Tank. Okay. And that does not mean because that they got picked by Shark Tank and you know the name of the food sensitivity test that it is a accurate, reliable source for food sensitivity. It just, it just simply is not necessarily so, okay? Um, physician groups have for years advised against using immunoglobulin G tests. That's the food sensitivity test kits. They have advised against these tests to evaluate for so-called food sensitivities or intolerances. And allergy experts say that the test is useless at best and could even cause harm if it leads customers to unnecessarily cut nutritious foods from their diets. So that seems to definitely be a really huge concern about these tests. And again, if you've had the test, share the results with others who have had the test and see how many things are similar on that log of the things that you guys are sensitive to. Gluten, dairy, eggs, soy. Those are gonna be some really big ones, okay? And the other thing you should understand is that high levels of the IgG from these tests, that does not indicate a problem. According to medical doctors, it simply points to foods that a person has recently eaten, but not necessarily that they have a problem with or a sensitivity to. So the science just doesn't seem to be there for food sensitivity tests. I personally have never taken one. Um, the best way to really know if something is bothering you or your digestion would be to keep some kind of detailed food log for a, like a week. You want to write down the time of everything you eat with details down to the brand and the time of any adverse symptoms that you might experience. That information is gonna be more telling than any food sensitivity kit information that you can buy at a store. So just start doing a food log, like I said, writing down everything you eat, even down to the brand, and then what adverse symptoms you have and how long after that food did you have that. That kind of information you bring that to a registered dietitian and they're gonna be able to help you so much more than the food sensitivity kits. So think about trying that because I'm also a huge believer that if you are having some kind of digestive issue, trying to take out one food group at a time is so much easier than like five to 20 food groups at a time. All right, because likely not all of those things are causing the problem. So let a registered dietitian help you. Just understand that a food sensitivity, I'm not saying that that is not a real thing. It is, but these kits are just not the best way for you to figure that out. And I hope that this is like helping you if you've taken a food sensitivity kit. I hope that you're like, oh, this is such a relief because that was the biggest stress ever was getting the results back of that test. 
And I know so many people, family included, who got the test, then they told me everything they were allergic to or sensitive to, and I said, well, I could have already guessed that for you. And they're back to eating all the things they ate before, and they're, they're fine. <laughs> so uh, another thing to note is that if you don't have any issues, um, you're not having digestive issues. You're not having skin issues. Like there's nothing wrong. Like I, I have people who come to me and they're like, well, I did the, th the food sensitivity kit because I figured it would help me lose weight. And then I went off all these things and, you know, and I haven't lost any weight. And then I always ask them, like, did you have any problems before? Were you bloated? Did you have acne? Like, no, I didn't. I just, you know, but this came back. It told me I shouldn't eat these things. So I just, if you don't have any issues, don't give up any food groups, people, <laughs> okay? It's just, that's a harder way of life by all means. If you don't have any symptoms, then definitely don't give anything up. You know, that's like people who give, they come to me, they're like, I, I went dairy-free. I say, oh, because you, you were bloated, you had gas, like you had it. No, I just heard dairy-free is like a healthier way of eating. No, it's actually not. You get a lot of great protein from dairy, uh, calcium from dairy, like, it, it's so easy to fall into these fads and these traps, these diet traps and oh, because Beyonce went off sugar and you know, then I'm going to and this person went off milk. And, yeah, don't do that. Another reason you don't wanna do that, just so you know, is if you go off dairy, but you didn't have to, and then you realize that you know months later, oh, I didn't have to and I really would like a glass of milk. Then when you drink that glass of milk, now you're gonna have issues. <laughs> it's almost like you have to ease that food back in very often. If you take gluten out of your diet completely for three months, even if you didn't have a sensitivity, but then you eat gluten, you might have some discomfort when you bring it back into your diet. I personally would rather just have a little bit of gluten and a little bit of dairy and never have any problems, but be able to have a moderate amount of everything. So being restrictive is a hard way to live life and it's not always the healthiest. So I will wrap it up by saying what I have said many times before, which is everything in moderation, including moderation. Have a fantastic week, everybody. I look forward to our next episode and I look forward to summertime. It is almost here, team. Have a great week. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.